So there's a question in life that no one, I mean no one, really knows the answer to. And that's what's going to happen in the future. And we can't answer that one with 100% confidence because it hasn't happened yet. But imagine we had a way to really know what's going to happen in the future. A button that could transport us and give us a glimpse into what's to come. Well, here's one I prepared earlier. This would be cool if we could press the button and transport into the future. We could truly find out how much artificial intelligence is going to transform healthcare. Will we ever be truly user-centric and put the patient in the centre of care? And will technology actually have a transformational impact on issues like equity and access? Sure, not everyone has a button like this, but you know what we do have? The Digital Health Festival in Melbourne. And Talking Health Tech is going to be here front and centre. And that's where I'm setting up today. And... Wait a minute. Yeah. That was heaps easier than last time. Here at Digital Health Festival, attendees get a glimpse into what the future of healthcare might look like. And we're bringing you in this episode insights from speakers and attendees and exhibitors and anyone else attending the event today. I'm not alone here at the event either. We've got an army of THT ambassadors who are here representing Talking Health Tech on our booth and they're passionate about collaborating in the health tech ecosystem. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it up. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com survey. Hey, Nathan, uh, I'm Naren Gunja. We know each other from a previous life, of course, um, and a current life, really. Um, I am the Chief Medical Information Officer for Western Sydney Health, and I'm here at Digital Health Festival. It's a real buzz and enjoying it. I'm speaking this afternoon about the digital hospital okay. and what it means to get your healthcare facility into a digital platform and be able to run it uh, in a way that automates a lot of processes and streamlines efficiency for patient care. Fantastic. Admirable goal. Hopefully we'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess speaking of that soon, what does the future of healthcare look like for you? We know that inefficiency in healthcare systems comes from a lot of manual processes that require you to physically be somewhere. And I think the future is going to be about mobility and being able to get things in the palm of your hand. It's not going to be that you have to sit at a particular computer terminal 
and do something. It's not going to be for the patient that they have to go to a particular place in order to get the care that they want. It's about getting and doing what you want where you want to do it at that point in time. So mobility, I think, is going to be um, and accessibility anywhere, healthcare anywhere, essentially, is, I think, where health is headed. Um, Well, I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Utromix. I'm here to do a presentation on our medical wearable technology. Okay, great. You can see here. Tell us more about those. Uh, Well, this is a a medical patch that um, you wear. It's for the ICU, so um, in hospitals. And we have a technology that can monitor any diagnostic target continuously and in real time. So for the people listening and watching, um, the closest technology is continuous glucose monitors that diabetics wear. You might be familiar with that. Um, And that technology has revolutionized the treatment of diabetes, but it can measure only one thing, glucose. So this is the evolution of that tech because we've got a technology that can monitor any diagnostic target. So we can do proteins and hormones and, and drugs and it means we can solve problems that, um, that have been around for decades, but no one's been able to uh, develop a technology that can provide doctors with continuous readings. And it's really for targets to change rapidly. Yeah, and trends, right? And trend, exactly, trend data. So things like therapeutic drug monitoring, early uh, diagnosis of disease states. So any, any time where you need to get diagnostic data quickly and you need trend data, like you said, that's where this is This is useful. Wow. Yeah, that sounds so exciting and yeah. very new. And so what are you going to talk about on stage today? Are you well, speaking? I'm going to give, do a general uh, introduction to the technology. Yeah. Um, I'll have uh, the, the, uh, the product we're going to be taking to the market, which is what I have in my hands here. Yeah. Really lay out the plan for how is this all going to work? What are the first markets we're going to go after? We're going to revolutionize diagnostics with this technology. That's a big claim. And I'm going to lay out the foundation for how we're going to do that with credibility and, and who we've got on board to make this happen and all the partners that we have. You know, the company and, and all our partners are really excited. Um, we're going to be announcing a uh, uh, um, new board member um, that people will know. Yeah, so a general overview. Yeah, wow. And tell me a little bit more about the wearable. Is it like diagnostic via blood blood sampling or is it like it sits on your arm? So tell us how you... It does, yeah. So it uses... We actually operate in interstitial fluid. So a lot of people don't know what that is, but essentially just below the skin we have this fluid. And the best way to describe it is if you've ever had a blister, the fluid in the blister is interstitial fluid. We are bathed in this interstitial fluid. We have three times more or ISF, interstitial fluid, than blood. We have these little micro-needles that you can see in here. Yeah. They're only about two millimeters long. And, and when we apply that to the skin, on the tips of the needles, we have our sensor. And that's enough for us to actually read continuously um, almost any diagnostic target. It's the same fluid that um, continuous glucose monitor, monitors yeah. use, right? Yeah. And so that, that's how we can have a very minimally invasive device. We don't have to go into the blood. And yet we can still monitor those targets continuously. Yeah, wow, that's so, so very exciting. User friendly. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. So tell me, last question, what do you think is the future of healthcare and what excites you about the oh, future of healthcare? That's, that's a crystal ball. It's a loaded question Don't for have you. a crystal ball, but I can tell you trends. No. Things that are happening, uh, and one big trend is remote patient monitoring. Every stakeholder 
wants remote patient monitoring to work. The patients prefer it because they'd much prefer to be treated at home if possible. Hospitals prefer it because it's cheaper and it, and, it, and it allows beds to be used for people that are, that are sicker, basically. Um, payers prefer it. So everyone prefers it. And it's happening, but it, it requires enabling technologies to allow that to occur. And this is an enabling technology. So when you can monitor someone remotely, because we have a Bluetooth, goes to a cloud, so you can monitor someone anywhere in the world. Then you open up these opportunities where patients can be dosed drugs at home, because now you can do it safely. Or um, if they're at risk of cardiovascular disease or kidney issues, we can monitor biomarkers continuously. So they're not waiting for symptoms to occur, and then it can be too late sometimes. Mm-hmm. We're, doing, we're monitoring them at the earliest possible time. Because it's the equivalent of having a blood test every minute. Yeah. But it's not invasive and it's and, and it's you know and it's it's doable with this technology. So so that that I think is exciting and, and we really have plans to participate in a major way in making that happen, not just watching it, making it happen. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Uh, my name's Simon. I'm the director of a company called Healthcare Panel Asia and a startup called Hippo Health Intelligence. Uh, we're market researchers, basically, for the healthcare industry in Asia. Okay, fantastic. Um, and so wh- what are you here to talk about at the Digital Health Festival? Digital health, yep. uh, mm-hmm. digital health data, uh, the democratization and decentralization of data, health data, specifically patient data or personal data, uh, using blockchain technology uh, and AI to... Uh, you know, enhance the experience, I okay, guess. Okay, and so is that with like a, a focus on security and privacy? Well, so well, uh, in, in our industry, we collect a lot of uh, data for health, for pharmaceutical companies, for the healthcare industry. Most of it's siloed. Yes. It just, we collect it, they look at it, then they yeah. silo it. Our idea is that each time you give us data, we keep it anonymously. And then if somebody, if we create data sets on a marketplace, if somebody yeah. buys our data, you get incentivized each time. At the moment, they only get incentivized once for giving yeah. us the information, doctors, nurses, patients. Uh, but we want that data to remain uh, accessible. And then 
that keeps uh, incentivizing the, re- the, the, the respondent. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Um, and, and for you, what is the future of healthcare? Uh, I think it is digital and I think it's making it more democratic uh, uh, and global so that uh, someone in uh, you know, a country that has, doesn't have access to good medical services can get on a, a Zoom call and connect with a specialist in another country or in a bigger city so that uh, people you know, have that better access to healthcare. At the moment, it's, 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 it's not very equitable. Yeah. So my name is Maddie. I am the Virtual and Digital Health Manager at St. Vincent's Vincent's Healthcare Network, Sydney. Um, I'm a physio by background. I still work clinically a little bit. Uh, And yeah, so I I kind of manage um, anything virtual and digital that sits across the network, remote patient monitoring, telehealth, uh, kind of the project management implementation of those systems and um, programs across our hospitals. Oh, fantastic. Um, What what brings you to the Digital Health Festival? What, What were you talking about? What are you going to be talking about? So I'm presenting tomorrow, uh, co-presenting with a vendor called Care Monitor, which is the uh, platform that we have been using for remote patient monitoring. And we're presenting on our key lessons that we learnt from actually moving out of COVID. So we stepped up our uh, remote patient monitoring platform very quickly during COVID in response to COVID. Um, And we've been working over the last kind of eight to nine months of moving beyond that and how do we extend our program into other cohorts and services and there's been a lot of work that we've had to do to kind of pull apart the, the things that we did during COVID and, and almost start again, in a yeah. sense, and setting those foundations up. So, yeah, we're presenting on the key lessons that we've learned in that process, being things around kind of resistance and change management, that integrating data is, is very difficult. Um, and, you know, some things that we would do differently if we, if we did it again next time. Fantastic. Um, and so, look, a uh, final question for you today. What do you think the future of healthcare is? Future of healthcare. I mean, we're at a digital and <laughs> digital health festival. Yeah. I think I think really it is um, going to be breaking apart that concept of a hospital and healthcare walls. I don't, you know, that we're still in we're still in a place where our care happens primarily in a hospital. Um, and I I think very quickly we're going to say that that's not the case. And you really only are coming to what we currently call a hospital if you're critically unwell or needing intensive care or that yep. type of thing. And and everything else is going to happen at home. Yeah, so we're here with um, OutSystems. We have a we co-exhibiting with them. We're sponsoring the conference as well as a gold sponsor. And uh, OutSystems is a low-code platform that allows us to build any application really quickly. So things like web portals or mobile apps or backend integrations or anything like that. Um, serious apps, not not just you know um, simple things. And what we have contributed to this conference and to, to the OutSystems developer community is a library of um, healthcare interoperability components. So that makes it really easy for developers to work with healthcare data and then transform that data into an interoperable format so that they can exchange that with a hospital system, for example. The standard for interoperability is the HL7 FHIR standard, and there is lots of nuances to it like you know, the Australian base extensions to that profile we found that a lot of developers struggle to get the complexity of, of what that is and um, and to work with that and they try tend to oversimplify it and then run into problems so what we've done is we've removed that complexity so they can deal with simple data structures and then feed it into the components that we built 
and it generates the fire resources, or it can take a fire resource and transform it into a simple data model that developers understand. Yeah, great. Well, I mean, there's, everyone's speaking about interoperability is such a big problem, and totally. it's cool that you're the one bringing the solution to it. So, well, I was ideally. I was at the Digital Health Festival last year yeah. as, a, as a delegate, yeah. and um, I heard a lot of talk about how great it would be if we had interoperability and and you know what a difference that would make. I used to work as a CTO for a practice management software and um, I, that's where I came across interoperability for the first time. That's where I fell in love with it, I guess. And then for five years I've been doing other things and has, I haven't really done anything with interoperability. So it was really surprised me last year that there's so much talk about this and it seems like we haven't really made much progress. No. And yeah. so that's when I decided that one thing that has changed in the five years when I wasn't paying attention is that I've built a team, a very capable team that can build complex solutions. And interoperability is complex. And we figured, let's see what we can do to help the cause. And let's see if we can come back next year and present something that is useful for people to, to actually solve the problem with. Great, that's really good. So, I mean, have you been speaking on any of your stages? Yeah, or? yeah. So we, we had a session this afternoon on the sci-fi stage and one of the cool things, fun things we did was we wanted to show people how we can build a mobile app from scratch live on stage in less than five minutes Wow! that produces a fire interoperability resource based on the data that we capture on the screen. Oh, wow. And my lead developer was the one driving and I was explaining what he's doing and he did it in four minutes and... 33 seconds, I think. Wow. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's available on our website as well. Yeah. So we, there's a recording of the of the demo that we did. I'll have to have a watch. Yeah. yeah. So my last question for you, it's a loaded one. Sure. What is the future of healthcare then? The future of healthcare is connected. That's as simple as that. Like there's no, I can't imagine anybody trying to build any digital health solution today without thinking about how that's going to connect to other providers or other systems to exchange data. So I think that, you know, that's that's what we believe is that, that connected collaborative care where people have choices, they can move, they do move like for various reasons and they can own their data, they can share the data with whoever they choose to or they need to. Um, that's what I believe is the future of healthcare. Yeah, right. And my last unscripted question for you. Yes. Is it starting new or is it building from the old? The platform that we use, our tool of choice, our systems, allows you to build a custom solution from scratch, just like we demonstrated on stage. We built a mobile app from scratch in under five minutes. Yeah. Um, so it's most suited for people who have a, a unique idea, something that there isn't anything out there yet that solves that problem. And we can collaborate and build a solution, a custom solution for them. And then what sometimes comes as, a, as an afterthought, the interoperability, now we need to integrate with the hospital system and they yep. won't talk to us unless we integrate with them. That's where we provide these components that make that transition really easy to build that layer. I'm the general manager of Marta Pathology um, in Queensland and for the Marta Group. So we do both public and private testing um, of all the hospitals in the Great Brisbane area. And what I'm speaking about today is about uh, we've been fortunate that we've been given some Commonwealth funding to look at drone transportation, biopathology and pharmaceuticals 
in our greater Brisbane area. We have got some sites that are in the Moreton Bay area. Mm-hmm. So we've got collection rooms on Russell Island and also on the Clay Island and also on Stradbroke Island. And we've got big um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities on those islands. And the GP community out there do a great job of supporting the community, but they do have to wait extended times mm. for their test results because of the transportation um, delays with either without traffic in the Brisbane area or we've got ferry terminals that we have to work in with. And sometimes patients arrive to get their blood tests done, but because of the time sensitivity mm. of pathology tests, they're actually asked to come back a bit later, so they'll meet the ferry terminals and then go transported across and then get into the lab by the required four-hour sure. period. So that's the opportunity that we've got um, with drones, is that four-hour transportation time can be reduced to 10 minutes. Wow. And get to the lab. So, and that means that the GPs are able to make informed decisions for their patients rather than, you know, taking a risk as to do they transport that patient from the island to share the mainland or do they um, just leave them and hope that their diagnosis will be correct. Mm. Fascinating. It's very exciting. Yes. So how do, what's the future of healthcare? Look, I think uh, the future of healthcare is that we've got to get together and actually work well with the interoperability between systems. And over the conference period, we have heard the word interoperability many times. It's something that we've been talking about for many years, but I think there's a bit of momentum now Mm. to make that happen. I think COVID was a really good launching pad for that, where um, the community understood a bit more about what the importance of diagnosis is, but also really to hold of their own health care. And I think the introduction of uh, rat tests where people are responsible for a little bit of testing Mm. of their own health um, has been uh, a step forward. And I think now that the community is pushing the healthcare providers, we might see some advancements in that. The big thing for me is that obviously we're the first in Australia to look at drones. Um, We're working with Queensland Health um, on that because they've got a very large network of pathology um, laboratories. And they're looking at laboratory to laboratory transport. I'm looking at laboratory to laboratory, but also collection centre to laboratory. Um, what we need to make sure with the drone implementation is that the interoperability is there from day one. We don't want to get proprietary systems popping up everywhere and then have to worry about interoperability later. So I think, um, you know, devices are getting smaller. People are taking command of their health. I think it's a very positive uh, future. So I'm Kylie Abenden. I'm the Regional Health Innovation Hub Manager at Bendigo Health. So not many people know, but Bendigo Health Centre of Victoria. So, and we're the lead hospital across the London Mallee region, 16 hospitals in our region. So, uh, 25% of the landmass of Victoria and 350,000 people. So. Well, they represent. Well done. Yeah. Um, so, look, yeah, you're here at the Digital Health Festival. What were you talking about? So, we were actually talking about using IoT in the health world. So, it's really about taking technology that really exists in agri yeah. and is used quite widely in the agri sector, bringing that into health. 
and using some of the IoT networks to remotely monitor our patients. So as I said before, you know, we're 25 less of the landmass of Victoria, but only yeah. 350,000. Yeah. So some of our um, patients are quite remote. Yeah. So it's really how do we deliver the care yeah. to them where they need it in their home. Yeah. You know, when connectivity is a challenge yeah. and IoT networks are one of the answers. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, all right. So the last question from me today is what does the future of healthcare look like for you? The future of healthcare is much more about empowering the consumer, empowering the patient. So moving away from the medical model, the traditional model we have, and more to the more to the social model. You know, changing behaviours, empowering people to make their own decisions instead of just trying to fix people. Let's help empower them to live a better life. Uh, I'm the Chief Innovation Officer of the Digital Health Cooperative Research Center. Uh, that's an incubator and funder in the digital health space. I'm the guy with the crystal ball, um, trying to suss out what the next big things are and yep. then making sure that we raise enough awareness and tie together projects and, uh, and activities that help to translate those ideas into real world. Impacts. Oh, wow. So you've been here talking today. No, I will talk tomorrow. Oh, There's actually tomorrow. three things going on tomorrow. It's right. In the morning, I will moderate a very uh, high-profile panel on the responsible use of generative AI in healthcare that will yep. feature uh, very exciting panelists. Um, then there will be a talk at, uh, at around noon, which I will give on the same topic. And then I'm delighted to be one of the pitch fests judges in oh, the afternoon. Fantastic. So you've got a big day ahead tomorrow. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. Awesome. So in your crystal ball, looking down at what is the future of healthcare? Generally, this has, you, you cannot have a discussion about that without after one minute mentioning the famous chat GPT, right? Yeah. Um, but dialing down that hype uh, a little bit, I, I wanted to say that I'm generally excited about what AI, not just the latest craze, um, which by the way isn't so late, it's just you know come to the surface Finally. but it's been out there for a while. But really also more, shall I call it, established AI technologies can bring to healthcare. So it's really that excitement about the transformative role that AI as a tool mm -hmm. to assist human decision makers can bring to healthcare. And that is for both, not for not just for clinicians, for just patients, but for both of them. There's there's a lot of a lot of potential in there to change their experiences their workflows, their productivity, quality of care, patient experiences through the use intelligent and safe use of AI in the future. Yeah, sure, so I'm the CTO of Aurobox. We're a cloud platform that allows doctors to share and collaborate on medical imaging. So we're solving a big problem uh, in healthcare in Australia, which is the doctors can't access the imaging that they need in order to treat patients when they need it. Yeah, wow, and is that uh from a perspective at home or is it in the hospital or anywhere you want it to be? It's kind of anywhere. So like there's actually a lot of organisations using imaging maybe more than you might expect. So like sporting organisations, for example, professional sporting teams, uh, insurers, uh, medical second opinions, like lots of people need to kind of get access to patient imaging and patients want them to have it when they need it. But there's no good way for them to kind of mediate that relationship. So for the patients to go, yeah, here is all my imaging and it's in one place and I consent to you using it in the way that you need to use it. So that's kind of, that's, that's where we're stepping in and solving that problem. Um, and it applies more broadly to hospitals and specialists, especially for specialists who are dealing with a lot of clinical usage like um, 
uh, like oncologists or you know brain surgeons, those those sorts of groups. Yeah, I'm, I'm an amateurometer by background, okay. so uh, I look at imaging once a week with the radiologist, and we sit down for an hour and we talk through these images. Yeah, yeah. You see, having people's previous images that might actually have them as a baseline, they might have something different. But we don't know that because we're just seeing the images from today yep. after the trauma, yep. which could have been caused by the trauma or it could be chronic. We're not sure. You don't know. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that's amazing. And I can see a massive use in that. So yeah. very cool. Um, so tell me what you talked about on the stage yesterday and what stage were you on? Oh, so we're on the sci-fi stage. We were talking about um, cloud adoption, which is a subject that I've been involved in for you know quite a while, 15 years, but uh, is unfortunately incredibly dry and boring. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure... What the, what the key takeaway from that session was. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, there were a lot more people interested in it than I thought there might be. I kind of feel like talking about cloud too much is a bit of a distraction from the real issues. You know, like you want to talk about how you can improve specific aspects of what you're doing and maybe, uh, maybe there are some cloud techniques or ways in which people engage with the cloud. For example, how do you orchestrate your applications or are you, are you running across multiple availability zones, whether they are physical infrastructure or, or some cloud infrastructure? Those are good questions to ask, but maybe have you adopted cloud as like, it's not really relevant, unfortunately. Yeah, and whether it's access or if it's organization or efficiency, it's just trying to work out those. Yeah, yeah, and healthcare is slightly different. Like if you've just bought Epic, New South Wales government, I'm looking at you. Um, if you've just bought Epic, you know, your cloud journey is kind of over at this point, right? So you've got to work out some other way to, uh, to work out how you're going to engage with companies that are moving data around through the cloud because that's where it goes and, yeah. and how that's going to work. Great. So the last loaded question for you is what do you think the future of healthcare is? Well, it's an interesting question in Australia right now. Like probably I would have said interoperability is the future. You know, the ability to uh, move data around uh, for patients when they need it, where it needs to be. There's a lot of talk at the government level about what that's going to look like. Personally, I'm pretty skeptical as to what they might achieve there. Um, how long? And in how long, you know, the healthy skepticism is important. Uh, they've got grand ambitions, so we'll, we'll see what that turns into. But I think even, you know, like we're seeing a really strong interest in uh, just the ability to get imaging moving a little more freely between organizations. You know? So like the, the need is there uh, and that will drive adoption of interoperability solutions. There's probably not enough here today. There needs to be more. Right, so Sophie, I am a obstetrician and a gynecologist, and I'm based in northern beaches of Sydney, and I'm also a clinical educator, so I'm a senior lecturer with, um, clinical senior lecturer with both University of Sydney and Macquarie University. I've always had a passion for management and administration in addition to my clinical role, and I think that that is what has led me to digital health. I wouldn't claim to be anything more than a mere clinician, not very clever with the IT side, but I believe that the partnership between IT or digital health and clinicians is so powerful. So you were lucky enough to be on a stage yes. <laughs> this last couple of days. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit about what you were speaking about? Right, so Sophie, I have set up a, a multidisciplinary care model for women, and it includes a GP specialist and as well as a urogynecologist, a colorectal surgeon, a specialist with interest in endometriosis, a physio, nursing and midwifery representative. So it's a, like a very holistic view on women's health. And I wanted to share that and 
go through the, I basically got an opportunity to share the gains that we have noticed in our practice, as well as the pain points that we have, you know, we continue to to battle and try and minimize with, with time. So it was good because I truly believe that that's the future of women's health and that's the standards that every woman deserves. And so I was I was really privileged to be able to present our model of care. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the future, how do you see the future of healthcare? I think the future of healthcare is so exciting. And isn't this festival a testament to that? 5,000 people are coming to come and show an interest in this field. And I think that um, we're going to constantly see that clinicians will bring their talent to the table, but we will hopefully have more and more automation of the mundane tasks and minimization of you know, inefficiencies and just, uh, I think patient engagement is so important and it's not really going to happen unless we have more robust apps and more robust portals and we put women and patients at the centre or at the forward, like patient-led systems. So I think that will be empowered with solid digital technology. And certainly, Sophie, from my model, MDT needs to rest on a very solid digital foundation to thrive and to prosper because I am aware of quite a few that haven't survived because of the complexity of the system. And so I'm very um, passionate but also mindful that we actually need this, not want this. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. It's um, anything that can give us more capacity to, to have that time with patients and, and activate them in their own healthcare is an exciting space. I agree, Sophie. So I sometimes get asked by my peers that, oh, no, it's going to replace, it's going to this, that, or, you know, and I think that, no, actually what it does is it gives you more time to talk to the patient because you're not caught up in the paperwork. So I think that's the approach that clinicians now need to sort of embrace more because, you know, typically, especially doctors, we are a bit resistant to change. <laughs> I think we all are a little bit in, in healthcare. We like it nice and slow. Yeah, and, and how we've always done it. And, done it. and I, I think, you know, we're moving through such exciting times of, yep. of being innovative and how can we better serve our communities. Absolutely. One um, pain point that I constantly, you know, battle with is lack of intraoperability. And I think forums like this are so good because they are at least having that collective voice of so many of us saying, please, please make things interoperable because it's such a pain to have to, you know, having silos and different parallel systems that don't talk to each other. And <laughs> Sorry, I had to debrief there. No, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, it's been such a buzzword yeah. this last couple of days is interoperability. Yeah. How do we do that and how do we bring the interoperability and something that is such a complex problem to solve. Yes. And that, I think, is the next step. Yeah, exactly. Now I know that fire is not just the normal fire. That yeah. <laughs> I'm a GP. Uh, I work in private practice in Sydney. I also have an academic role. But my main job and what brings me along to Digital Health Festival is as president of the AMA in New South Wales. And one of the things I really wanted to see at this conference is more clinicians and maybe the medical professional leadership groups from colleges and, and my organisation be here to actually be part of this conversation going on because there's so many great digital health providers and uh, researchers and people funding the system here, but there needs to be more of that discussion with the frontline clinicians that go on. And you spoke yesterday, so can you tell me a little bit about what you spoke about in your key message? We talked about 
we're kind of revolutionising virtual care and what it has meant for the Australian healthcare environment. I think some really good things out of the uh, Calvary Medibank virtual hospital uh, running in South Australia, which was really interesting. I think from my perspective, it was very much about how you joined up uh, the right clinician for the right patient at the right time in the right place. And so virtual health has its uses, but it's not the be-all and end-all for our system. And when you come to recognise that not everything is virtual, but not everything is face-to-face, and you find that balance and we work out how our systems can appropriately put the right patient in the right place and then connect the clinicians with them. That's how we'll get the best for everyone. And that, you know, that includes dealing with the kind of terrible postcode lottery that is, you know, being a patient in Australia. If you're somewhere where there's easy access to -to face-to-face services, then all of a sudden you get better healthcare. Whereas if you are somewhere further away, our system means that you actually use less healthcare, you often have worse health outcomes. So we, we want to try and do things that help improve those health outcomes for people wherever they happen to be. So what's the future of healthcare with that, one, that in mind? We don't talk about digital banking. I think we're going to get, have to get to that point. We don't talk about digital health. We talk about health because uh, these services are already intertwined completely into our health system. Uh, they're in everything that we do and they've been there for a long time we're talking about digital but I mean we've had electronic medical records we've had clinician assisted diagnostics in radiology for years we need to start thinking of that as part of just a digital health continuum or a health continuum that our patients can use our clinicians can use and that's where it's primarily I think been directed before now and it also starts delivering on that quadruple aim of health care so we're getting better health outcomes, we're um, getting better value out of our healthcare outcomes, we're doing better community health, uh, and we're getting a, a better experience for clinicians as well. And I think that last one is important, and that's why I want more clinicians to be at events like this, because we've got to include them in the design of new technologies so that they're actually going to be part of that future, and they're not just going to say, I'm going to do it the way I used to do it. Sure. How have you found the mix of the clinicians here at Digital Health Festival? There are lots of great clinicians here. Many of them, however, are already the digitally converted. They work in this space. They are you know, intimately connected to the delivery of health technologies into hospitals or into primary care, uh, into public health systems. What we need to get is more people who are just on that fringe of technology adoption and show them what's available, what's happening, and how to be part of the revolution in digital health so that we can actually have technology that means something to them when they go back to see patients every day, you know, and, and deliver the healthcare that people across the country need. For the digitally converted, what is a, a takeaway or something that we can take back to our workplaces to help bring those that are on the fence or not quite there into thinking of health that's already digital but moving Healthcare is built on evidence, and one of the ways in which we generate that evidence is to actually work with the tools that are developing and and being built. If we want to be part of that new kind of eon of uh, of healthcare, then I think you need to be a, a contributor. You don't have to be the first adopter, but you certainly shouldn't be in a situation where you don't understand what's going on. And, and that's what I hope everyone gets out of 
coming here or, or even when they go back to their own organisation, it's that to know about what's going on is just as important as, as being the first adopter of everything. We've always, everyone's always got a first adopter in their, in their practice or in their um, department or in their group. Uh, you don't have to be always that person, but you should know what's coming down the line and understand how it's going to change your specialty or your area of healthcare practice because if you don't, you're just going to get swept along rather than being someone who's got some control of where, where you go and how the technology helps shape your practice. My name is Prash. I'm the co-founder of Venosis Therapeutics. I'm a psychiatrist and I run a startup that looks to reimagine what the future of telemental healthcare would look like in a world of three-dimensional screens. Great. And you did a talk on the stage, was it yesterday? Uh, today, today, later this afternoon. This afternoon. And what's yeah. your talk going to be about? It's on the use of technology in sort of innovative healthcare approaches. And in this case, I think it particularly focused on our work and using um, virtual reality-based psychotherapy in psychedelic therapy. Yeah, right. And can you tell us a bit more about that in terms of your work and yeah. what your product is? Yeah, and psychedelic therapy exists as a multiple part process. There's the actual psychedelic component and then there's all the psychotherapy parts of it, which is what allows any, uh, any change that occurs to become sustainable long-term psychobehavioral change. We considered the fact that so many of the insights that emerge in the psychedelic session tend to sort of disappear and wither away and aren't always retained. And we started thinking about how we could leverage technology to help better retain those insights and turn them into a model that was able to fit into general models of mental health care delivery. And that's what we've built out in virtual reality. Wow, that's very cool. So I guess in moving through that in the mental health side of things and the psychedelic therapy and what your purpose is, what do you see as the future of healthcare mm. today? I think the, um, the future of healthcare, I'll, I'll specifically focus on mental healthcare, is inevitably remote. I think we've tasted the, 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 the Kool-Aid of healthcare from the couch and we're, we're unlikely to go back. Um, but in doing so, I think we need to consider that, the, that screen technology is changing and shifting and it's moving gradually from two-dimensional screens to more immersive screen technology. Apple's recent VR headset release is a, is a, is a major signal yeah. of that. And so if it is moving in that direction, then we need to be designing technologies that leverages that immersive three-dimensional modality, which raises both a problem and an opportunity. The problem being that the way we conduct telemental health now isn't fit for purpose for immersive screens. Yeah. And the opportunity being that with this new technology uh, and the extra sort of physical dimension that we're now able to access, we're able to do things that we previously were not able to do. In that virtual world, immersive world, where there is no physics, we can do things that the real world does not allow us to do and how we leverage that technology to be able to optimize mental health care um, is going to be, I think, the, uh, the future in which the, the, the industry moves. Yeah, wow. Well, and I guess the one question that is continuing to come up over the last few days is how do you see, I guess, the regulations and that base of um, approvals and keeping within you know, patient safety and how is that, I guess, impacting on of your mm. area of work. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to look back at COVID and the shift that had on enabling um, or really boosting the reimbursements, for example, for uh, remote health. Yeah. It took such a global event to really accelerate the, the reimbursement of something which 
already existed and and, and um, should it could should could have been mainstream you know before this yeah. as we move into and again speaking of my world as we move into more immersive technologies I think the capacity to be able to design pre-designed prescribable psychotherapy sessions um, which a virtual world allows for in a much more seamless and intuitive and engaging manner than two-dimensional screens um, that's going to be a major shift forward and whether we can get reimbursement in prescribing I guess PBS type reimbursements on that as digital prescriptions is going to be the interesting shift that we wait to see whether the regulator will come to the table on. Um, I'm Dr. Liz Berryman and I am the founder and CEO of Channel and we are a connected frontline wellbeing solution. Yeah, so what we do is we do data and insights um, on how workforces uh, with your wellbeing. We also monitor the environment and something called psychosocial risks. So uh, we're able to help organizations to manage and monitor their employee wellbeing programs. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Awesome. So you spoke at the festival this week. I did. And what did you talk about? Yeah, I talk about the crisis that we've got with our healthcare workforce. This is a global crisis. Uh, we're seeing that people aren't staying in healthcare jobs. For frontline employees, that's about five years now. Um, think about all the training that's gone into, uh, say, nurses and paramedics um, for just five years. So um, we're looking at why uh, people are leaving the profession and about how we can retain them and change the environment so that they can thrive and hopefully have flourishing 20-year-plus careers. So what are the big things that you're seeing? Why are we leaving? Well, burnout. Yeah, absolutely. Burnout is, is huge. And we were just joking before about how cynical we get. And I think it's because of the environment that we're working in. And we didn't go into nursing uh, or medical profession to, um, to be burnt out. We, we want to care and we care so deeply. So it's ironic that healthcare in particular has got this issue uh, with burnout. So I think we need to start caring for the carers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what does the future of healthcare look like? in terms of that? Yeah, so a thriving uh, workforce which is digitally enabled. So a lot of our time has been doing administration tasks or systems that are broken that just make our days so much harder. So if we can get uh, AI and other amazing innovations uh, in to help the healthcare workforce because putting more people into a system that's broken is not going to help. So by looking at keeping patients at home for longer, giving them care in their own homes, um, means that it's bringing up hospital services so that we can do uh, stuff that we need to be able to do in, in tertiary centres um, and then just really supporting that workforce to help them do their jobs to the best they can do. The other aspect of what we do is making sure that the culture is right and in healthcare we have got a bit of a culture of um, hierarchy and we um, have a, a bullying issue so being able to call that out and address it and have proper speak up pathways to be able to promote psychological safety and frontline teams is just, I think, critical for us to develop the innovation that we need and ability to drop, adopt digital tools because the teams are psychologically safe. Yeah, wow. So coming, you've come from New Zealand. Yes. To the Digital Health Festival. How have you found the experience? You know, key takeaways for you going home? Yeah, it's been a wonderful experience. We're over in the startup village um, and it's just been so cool to hang out with other founders and startups doing really cool innovation. One of the takeaways is I think it's the difficult part of getting from, say, a research innovation or a pilot that you might have done that's really successful and then getting that implemented and scaling up. 
I think there is a gap that really needs to be addressed. If we want to see more innovation come through, then we're going to have to support that early stage. Um, so, yeah, really passionate about that startup ecosystem. I'm Dr. Brian Tan, Chief Health Officer for Salesforce. Um, and I work primarily in the public sector, so serving government, public institutions in healthcare. What I do is basically help Salesforce and our clients set the strategy for the future of healthcare and how we can use transformative technology in the piece as well. And I've got a lot of toys to play with working at Salesforce, so yeah. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and I know you've been on lots and lots of different stages over the last few days, but what, what have they been about? What have you been moderating? Yeah, um, basically listening to a lot of our client uh, partners' stories around how they're using new wave technology that Salesforce has to transform the way they're doing things and essentially to bring the person back into the centre of their organisations, because that's what Salesforce is about. It's about bringing the person back into the centre of care. Um, we've got a lot of emphasis in process and policy in healthcare, and at the end of the day, our primary research suggests that sometimes the patient or the citizen, still the consumer in healthcare is being left behind. Yeah. So there's still a lot of traction to go, um, which is one of the major reasons why I've actually moved into this area. After working on doctor and nurse workflows for almost a decade, um, and I've been in health informatics now for over 20 years. It really, when a friend posed me the question, are you interested in maybe taking a tilt at patient centricity? So I thought, oh, that's an interesting problem statement. So I moved across about three years ago, and it is still a, a growth area. It's still an area that I think we can go a long way to improving how we as consumers in healthcare experience um, our interactions with the healthcare system. And even when we're well, uh, how do we still continue to uh, transform the way in which we're managed? Um, because uh, most of our care is not necessarily within the falls of a hospital either these days. No. Yeah. Empowerment and accessibility of those services for the patient and you know, giving them the knowledge to, and information to them to be able to use it to their own good. Perfect, perfect. I couldn't have said it better, Ruby. Yeah. No, and our primary research supports that too, that you know, this is where healthcare is shifting. And so the future of healthcare is essentially shifting towards a, a, a patient, citizen-empowered model. Um, we see that in a funding model from aged care to disability where we're shifting towards consumer-directed care. That's basically a formal acknowledgement of the fact that we want to be treated where we want to be treated, we want to be managed where we, and when we want to be managed, and in the way in which we would prefer. At the end of the day, at the heart of that is really, we just want to be treated as people, not as another number to be processed, not as a throughput job. So um, that's what we're trying to employ our technology to do is how to bring the person and our relationships back into the centre of what we do. Yeah, great. Yeah. And I know there's probably a lot of focus as well on the workforce side of things and the ease of work. That's true. And making those systems a bit more fluid, I guess. Yeah, that's right. I think there's two aspects to that. We see a lot of investment historically in building out the workflows for the staff. Um, for example, rolling out a pad system for our desk clerks and admin clerks, rolling out an EMR for the doctors and nurses and allied health. But we haven't invested a lot in the front end uh, patient-facing systems. And I think that's the next frontier really, building off and augmenting all the good work that we've already done in PAS and EMR space, but at a hospital level and also at a federal and state level, how do we push more of the, not only information as you put it, but also the experience and the tech that actually allows an omni-channel approach to the way we like to be communicated. Some of us like to be, have the face-to-face. -face. Some of us like to have the email. Some of us are tilde, too long didn't read. Just give us the short SMS. So we've got to respect that preference yeah. and actually work with it because that's the best way that we'll reach people and change behaviours in health and actually shift the dial. But part of that too is having a system 
that supports a holistic knowledge of a person. We can't actually communicate with a person unless we know who they are and what they like. And so also part of our work and our challenge at Salesforce is building a data model that it helps us understand that person in their holistic entire sense as a person, not just as a clinical case with diagnosis and medications attached to a picture yeah. of you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess that's a really nice lead into my next question and telling me what, what is your vision of the future in healthcare? Yeah, okay. My, I guess our vision at Salesforce is that we're just going to use a lot of the technology that a lot of other industries have done but lend a nuance to the way we're applying that technology. And those other industries are using it in a way that, um, for example, makes you excited about the upcoming stay for your weekend that you've booked on their platform. Uh, use those same engagement technologies and some of the back-end juiciness as well that we, we have to then provide a system that supports um, individualized, engaging uh, communications and, and experiences uh, for patients interacting with the healthcare system. So I think that's what we want to do. And other industries have already embraced it. So I think it's just an education piece. And that's part of the reason why I'm here at the Digital Health Festival is just to do the education piece, to let all of my clinical colleagues and C-level executives know as they're taking care of uh, the pe people who they care for in their organizations, that this technology has actually already been embraced in other industries. And all we really need to do is just apply it in, a, in our respective areas in, in care, from hospital space to primary care, from aged care to disability. Um, multiple areas. Yeah. yeah, great. And then I hope the regulation follows, I guess. <laughs> oh, the regulations are already there and there's still a lot of work to be involved as well, but we're seeing significant shifts there. For example, in aged care, post-Royal Commission last year, um, which highlighted the need for transparency, the need to, for uh, dignity in aged care. And so we're trying to support some of that work as well, obviously, uh, yeah. from, from federal down to individual providers who use that uh, at the pointy end of care as well. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks. And I'll even buy you a coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.